Welcome back to episode number 32 of the Boxing One Podcast. Episode 32, man. Who we shouting out on 32? It's got to be Magic. Magic Johnson. Oh. No Jim Brown, huh? No love for Jim Brown? It's got to be Magic. It can't be OJ. It can't be Jim Brown. When you think of 32, it's got to be Magic. I'll have to go. I mean, we're both hoops heads, so we got to go there. But he did transform the point guard position, and he is... Uh, probably would be in the GOAT conversation had it not been for his early retirement, I think. I still remember where I was when I heard that announcement. I was on my way leaving junior varsity basketball practice. Had all my boys. My dad used to give all my friends a ride home from practice. And, dang, that was, I mean, that was heartbreaking. It was tragic, man. But, Magic, shout out to you, man. Episode number 32, this is dedicated to one of the greatest to ever do it at the point guard position at 610 ridiculous we're gonna dive right into our first topic right and i don't know if i want to do this chris because i'm a little bit bothered by this particular topic here's what i'm gonna say about it okay i'm gonna set up a scenario chris lasser you are the gm of an nba team who needs a spark you have one of the top draft picks this year let's just say you're the lakers gm okay and you're looking at the draft board and magic <laughs> and the number two pick comes up, right? Got you. I'm with you. And you in the war room with your homies and you're thinking through this and you see Lonzo Ball's name, his stats, college stats. I think he shot what? 70% from two, 40 from three, just killed it last year. And you're in the war room and somebody in there says something that gives you some pause. Okay. They say, but can we handle LeVar? What do you say? What's your response? Right. The first thing I need to let you know is if we in this war room, we are eating the whole chicken wing. Because <laughs> I checked out your seminary podcast, your seminary toolbox podcast, and you mentioned that you do not eat the whole chicken wing. I think that is sinful. So you eat the whole chicken wing, Jay Rich. But say I'm in that scenario, you know, you almost like – you would almost say like you have to take the player on his own merit, correct? Like that's, I mean, it's a truism. The kid seems to be respectful, has always done things the right way, has had zero problems at UCLA, loves the game, plays the right way. We've never seen anything like this. I can't even think of anybody else's parents. Maybe Todd Marinovich wouldn't let his son eat Oreos until he became an NFL quarterback or something crazy, if I remember that story correctly i could i could have that wrong but i think that's the athlete is that right yeah i but, think it was yeah, i think it was he was like a robot I, yeah i just can't i can't imagine lavar ball staying in a major media market where he is the headline every day like i've probably went to espn four times in the month of may and the headline story has been lavar ball and he hasn't had an athletic career in decades at this point um yet he continues to find himself um, in the story, in the storyline, and it's casting a huge shadow over his son. I think at the end of the day, you still have to take him, but there has to be some boundaries in place. And multi, like I know, like you can think of all the jokes in the world. I've seen some of the funniest memes in the world as we looked at the sneaker launch and all that stuff. But respect to the kid who is in just a a no win situation where he doesn't want to be disrespectful to his father, but he's trying to become his own man. Um, and he's just kind of stayed quiet, 
quiet and done the shoulder shrug thing, waiting for his chance where he can get out from under that shadow and just grow. But uh, it's hard to watch, man. Yeah, interesting you would say that he's under a shadow because ESPN the magazine has both of them on the cover of the magazine, full shot for Lonzo's face. But in the front, you see like a shadow of his dad's face. It's kind of eerie. And the quote on the front says, I do all my playing on the court. My dad can say whatever he wants to off of it. But for me as a GM, so you got to understand what type of guy I am. I don't like ego prideful type of players, right? But that's not the case here. Like you said, Lonzo is a good ball player. Doesn't say much on the court, lets his game do the talking. But his dad, man, like, can he just go away? Like as a GM, I'm I'm looking at Lonzo and I'm like, yeah, I would take him at the number two pick, but his dad is a PR nightmare. And like you said, there there probably is going to need to be some boundaries set up there. But I'm thinking, hmm, do I really want to take him or go go with the kid from Washington, who who some people say are is comparable, is going to be a good guard. In the NBA, he probably doesn't come with the LeVar Ball um, issues. I was reading in the magazine, and it was talking about him in his neighborhood. He's the only one with a white house in his neighborhood, which the homeowners association told him he couldn't do it. And in the magazine, he's quoted as saying, yeah, they told me I couldn't do it, and I did it anyway. And I got a black garage. And guess who's the homeowner association president now? Me. Oh, no. <laughs> Jay, what if you lived in that neighborhood, fam? Oh, I would die. But that just goes to show you, like, he feels like he has this invincibility. That's that's really frightening for me. But I really do hope the kid is successful. But if I'm the Lakers, I'm probably thinking about going in another direction. Besides the fact that Fox torched him in the in the March Madness tournament, I'm just saying. But Jay I think Rich, it's gonna be. I think it's gonna, are you trying to tell me he deboed his way to the homeowner association president? Bruh, that's exactly what the article said. And he said it emphatically. He said it more emphatically than I said it because we're a PG podcast. But he said, Bruh. they didn't want me to paint my house. The homeowner association did. But guess who's the blanking president now? <laughs> so you're trying to tell me he can do as much hood activity as he wants. He can have cats out there playing dominoes with the music as loud as he wants now. Because he's the homeowners association president. That was hilarious. Hilarious. So you you didn't tell me, man. Are you drafting him or not? Yes. You're drafting him. Okay. Yes. I'm saying I'm not I'm, penalizing the kid. I'm on the no side. I like I like to to come in with, with no luggage being towed in tow. Like I wouldn't. But the kid's not carrying the luggage. Yeah, but the dad is, and the dad is is super involved. So, you know, listen. One of the things we're both parents, right? And so, one of the things as we think, um, as we tell our kids, like when they're starting to think about future mates, we'll say like, "Hey, if if you want to see some of those things like character, um, like you observe that person who you might be interested in." in situations where character reveals itself, right? And we start to translate it and say like, hey, if this person does this in this situation, then like we trust that that person will do this in this situation. And that's a good thing. So we we trust from what's been revealed about that character to the extent that we can examine it, that that person would be good, you know? Um, serves in a local church without being asked. 
things like that, right? So this kid is in a no-win situation, and he's made no missteps. And the spotlight has been on him the entire time. He's never, he's never misstepped by joining his dad, but he's never said anything bad about his dad. So under the brightest of bright lights, scrutiny that no other recruit has had to go to or not recruit in this instance, it would be like a potential draft pick. And he's handled it perfectly. So like that, that's everything I need to see is like, hey, this kid knows what he has to do, but he's going to handle it perfectly. So and you don't want him to come around and be the point guard who beats you for the next 10 years if he really is as transcendent. And I think what most scouts are saying now is Fultz might be the most ready to impact the NBA tomorrow, but Ball has the brighter upside. He might be the guy who's the perennial all-star, has the better career. It's kind of like all of those years where we had debates whether it was going to be Deron Williams or Chris Paul in that draft class, things like that. And we know who wound up being better, the future spur Chris Paul. <laughs> but we're not going to talk about that. So we want to go from someone whose uh, future uh, is looking on the upside and uh, getting ready to be drafted to another young man whose future was taken away from him. His name is uh, Richard Collins. If you haven't heard the story, he was a student at Boise State, hanging out at U of M, College Park, University of Maryland in College Park. And another uh, gentleman, a uh, Caucasian guy, came up to him and told him to step left or move out of the way. And he responded, said no. And, and the gentleman pulled out a three to four inch blade and stabbed him in the chest. Uh, Collins died um, at the hospital. And they recently had a graduation where they had his regalia um, on the front row and his his family received his uh, his degree. I think it was business administration degree um, in his stead. Oh, uh, he so had, sad, bro. Yeah. And he had just got commissioned as a second lieutenant uh, in the Army, went through the ROTC program, straight shooter kid, and had a great bright future ahead of him. Uh, but uh, got his life taken from him um, by what appeared to be something that was racially motivated. So, um, you know, just want to reflect on that together, you know, as, as brothers and as seeing this um, from our context and trying to understand, man, what is really going on? Um, there's some information that he was part of the this alt-right group um, that was a group of, I guess, racist individuals. But what could motivate someone uh, to walk up to a total stranger and, and literally just take their life? Um, for for no apparent reason at all. So just to kind of pull back the curtain, um, when we started thinking about continuing the podcast, we were saying like, hey, let's go to once every two weeks. We're both busy. I have five kids. I want to be a good father and a husband. And I have a job and I want to steward time well. Uh, we want to communicate and get the gospel out on different cultural topics. Um, so now we basically just scan like news items, current event items, culture items, sports items once every two weeks and say like, what's prominent to talk about? And I like having to like dig for what, what are we talking about? What needs discussing? I'm surprised that every single, every other biweekly, we're finding that the topics are remaining the same. We're just trading names and it's always uh, a victim 
and it's always something that's racially motivated finds our way into the culture piece. And we, and by no means, have limited ourselves to that. But it's kind of like every time that we get ready to do the podcast, uh, one of the stories is happening, and this is just tragic. I, I mean, I really don't know what else to say beyond like, I can't believe how consistently this has been um, the narrative in our culture lately. And this one was just crushing. Like seeing that picture before the ceremony started and it was just his regalia laid up over the chair. It was eerie and it was angering and it was shocking and it was saddening and every word that you can use that describes raw emotion. um, It was all of those. Yeah. I mean, and this this guy was a commissioned military officer. It's like, oh my goodness. Could you find someone who is more of a upstanding citizen than an African-American male who's graduating from college as a second lieutenant in the army, going to serve this nation in whatever context he was going to serve? It, it, it was devastating and, and heartbreaking to even read that yeah. and to see, see that photo. So, of course, the two great ironies, right? Like, you know, your family, they're proud, but you're going into the military, so they're a little bit fearful. Because like, hey, at that point, they're training you to say like, hey, you may die here. And the irony is he dies hanging out with friends at a bus stop, Mm. you know, and then uh, the other irony is like um, you're dying for that guy to have freedom. Yeah. And and to have freedom of speech, to be part of, you know, groups that might not necessarily be teetering on, um, you know, hatred or, or racial division. So. Um, ironic indeed, but, but also just, just, just causes us as, as believers, um, to continue to be in prayer for our nation. Um, because I mean, the, the wounds dating back to, um, the transatlantic slave trade are still there and, and they, they kind of continue to, to rise up and, and fester in our society. So, um, more, all the more reason for for us as the church, um, who's called to be kind of those those ambassadors for for reconciliation, or what Paul says, we, he's given us this ministry of reconciliation um, to be able to um, not just put a bandaid on the wounds, but actually bind, bind bind them up. I mean, that's what Jesus said he was called to do. Uh, when he picked up the Isaiah scroll and said, come to bind the wounds of the broken. So um, just all the more reason for us to take up that cause and say, hey, um, how can we as a church work towards that? So finally, Jay Rich, um, a topic we wanted to close this week with a topic that's really close to my heart and kind of ties into something we were just talking about, but um, probably over the last year, I'd say ever since the election cycle really hit heavy and it was time to um, vet our two candidates and kind of figure out um, which way this country would go, right post-election, right around November until currently, I've probably had this conversation eight or nine times. Sometimes it's been in my community. Sometimes it's just been people that I know that have been reaching out. but. Um, The conversation typically involves um, a Christian, a black evangelical Christian who is in um, a church setting 
um, that is mostly white and just finding a lot of what happened during the political season, um, just some of the racial strike that's happened with some of the things starting with Trayvon and continuing with all the way to like the Terrence Kircher verdict the other day, just um, finding it hard to engage after uh, some of the stuff they've seen by fellow Christians uh, posted on social media. Um, they've found it hard to re-engage or in conversations. And so now we're saying like, as those agents of um, reconciliation, as Paul's told the church, like what does it look like to move forward now? So um, someone comes to you, Jay Rich, and says like, hey, I was in my church. We were in a good place there. We were growing spiritually. Then this political season hit and we started to notice like we were divided among racial lines within our church. And um, ever since then, it's been hard for me to engage. Like what kind of advice would you have for that person? Oh, first of all, I would say, I mean, just because Jesus rode in on a donkey doesn't mean that he would support a donkey or an elephant um, when it comes to politics. In fact, he he kind of stayed away from kind of the whole political power thing with uh, folks who were zealots on this team, like, hey, let's go and overthrow the, the government or whatnot. Um, Jesus wasn't anti-political, so to speak. So he, he does want us to, and Paul talks about this um, in his letters, he wants us to kind of engage in politics. Peter too. But, yeah, but at the same time, um, he wants us to make sure that we are dual citizens um, and, and kingdom citizens. And that kingdom citizenship um, actually may cause us to worship with people and to be around people who don't share some of our political uh, affiliations. I've, I've been reading Jonah lately and just seeing the way that Jonah like completely despised the Ninevites um, because of the way they treated the Jewish people. You have to, you can understand that. You can feel that viscerally to a point where he just was willing to disobey God and just say, I'm out cuz. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, the book as, I, of, as I'm out cuz the John Richards translation. Yeah, yes, sir. I, I'm out of here. <laughs> the JRV. The JRV. The JRV. I mean, he winds up back in the place where where he delivers this message that God gave him. And he still says, I knew you were going to be merciful, compassionate. Um, that's why I didn't come, which is weird. Like. That's why you didn't come that God was going to be. So, so even seeing that in Jonah's life, like for us, we, we kind of get that same sense when we have, but even brothers and sisters, not just Ninevites or people outside of the community who we don't necessarily agree with. So I would just say that um, the body is like a family. Like there are going to be some cousins, aunties and uncles that you're going to have to deal with um, on God's terms. And sometimes that means that you're going to have to have those tough conversations with them. So that's what I would say. I would say, no, Jesus didn't ride in on a donkey because he supports it. Um, he he did so to go to a cross to disarm the true power, which is the power of Satan, not political power. Yeah. Um, I think what I would add would be like, hey, don't be quick uh, to leave the church over an offense. Um like Jesus died for the church, he loves it. So we want to give that every chance to work. Um, I would also say, don't don't sweep that under the rug. Um, don't try to brush it off like it wasn't an offense. 
or it wasn't something that needed working through, right? Then I would say like, just realize like we are all on like a ladder. Like we're all trying to grow in that sanctification process. Justification is a one-time thing, but sanctification is a lifetime thing. And you might run into somebody who thinks, if you want to talk about race, like um, the gospel doesn't have anything to say about that and that you're just being your culture. And that person might just not be ready to see how the gospel comes to bear on that topic. And it's no use trying to beat a dead horse in that situation. And then I would say um, just finding outlets, people like um, the Reform African-American Network writers, um, Tabidi Anyabawali, lots of other people at the Gospel Coalition, just other people who kind to like put words to our laments in these situations can be super therapeutic. Um, so th that's some of the advice that I would share probably too. All right, man, this is part of the show. We want to be able to share some resources with our listeners. Um, both of us love reading, um, love listening to various pastors and speakers. And we just want to be able to share some of those with some folks. So I just wanted to ask you, Chris, man, what, what would you commend to some folks as a resource that might be helpful for them? Uh, my favorite thing, I'm so glad you asked. My favorite thing was the homie Razul Berry. Um, he was actually on the uh, Wado radio show just talking about like the difference between um, the gospel and the his Hebrew Israelites. But he was sharing with Wado part of something that he did in his church as an entire sermon. And so I followed the link over to the sermon and checked out the entire sermon. And it was excellent. Some of the stuff I already knew, a lot of this stuff was enlightening for me, but he did such a great job of balancing like the historical narrative and the gospel, uh, it was so life-giving to me and it was encouraging. And I'm glad to see people out there doing that work right where the gospel needs to be present. That's great, man. A lot of conversations surrounding that. And it's good to see some solid brothers um, working because he went to what, Penn? Yeah. Yeah. So see, see some solid brothers working working on things like that. And so we'll, we'll include a link of that in the, in the show notes for sure. For me, I, I would um, suggest uh, in light of what we've been discussing tonight, um, my friend Ed Gilbreth wrote a book called Reconciliation Blues, uh, where he talks about um, being African-American in white evangelical circles um, and being able to navigate that um, as an African-American. He's a great gifted writer, um, tells a little bit of his story, but also um, just talks about what it looks like to be a reconciler in those situations. So certainly yeah. would commend that to anyone. I think he called himself in that book, the only Oreo crumb in the cup of milk. And I was dying. B. I Ooh. was, <laughs> I was done. I probably, I probably remember when we was growing up and like, you couldn't be the biting MC. Like you wasn't allowed to like take people's stuff. Right. But I've probably been the biting MC with that. Like in my own writing, I probably quoted that. I give him credit though. Um, yeah. That's a that's an epic line, but Ed's pretty yes, good. Yeah. He's a good wordsmith, so I, I appreciate him. All right, closing shout outs. Episode 32. You better have a good closing <laughs> shout out, man. Can I go two, man? Can I go two? I feel like two is necessary. So For sure. um shout out to my wife, man. Uh Emily Lassiter. Um last Monday night was her last night as coordinator of a group called Valley Young Lives. And basically it's a national organization called Young Lives that comes along teen moms and teen moms to be and walks also alongside them with the hope of the gospel. 
my wife actually saw that ministry and started it in our community and then was instrumental in also helping get an sister organization started called Generations Hope that partners through our church to come and build life skills and group mentoring um, with Christian counselors to make sure those girls have our solid support base. Um, she's done it for seven years and she just said, hey, it's time for me to step out. But what a great run and I'm super proud of her and her following her dreams. Definitely can't forget my mom. Uh, mom was an educator in our community for better than 30 years and then decided to start her own um, Christian school in our community because there were not many options for minorities who wanted to go the Christian school route. So she started a school and um, all of that education seems to be coming to a close. This year, a lot of my kids have been beneficiaries of that. And I'm just super thankful for my mom and I'm super thankful for my wife and just um, women in my life that are ambitious for the gospel's sake. Shout out to moms and the wifey. And low key, Elas is like one of our chief, chief content strategists. She yes, some, some great Elas, content. the content strategist. All right, so, um, and I'm trying to be a supportive husband too because I've been reading this book called The Exemplary Husband, but my wife upstairs right now talking about uh, she's about to be vegan. So I don't know what that's about to mean. So Lord I just ate Jesus, a burger. Please just, help her. Touch her I just, heart. <laughs> I just finished eating a burger. So. No vegans, man. No. <laughs> Can't do that. All right, my shout out is to my small group, man. We um, have been part of a small group for about two months now at our new church. And again, along the same lines, it's, it's been a pretty great reconciling work. I mean, we, we're the one of few African-American um, families at the church. Um, so, so we've been able to sit down with this group and uh, just had kind of a great uh, couple of last weeks. Um, in the midst of, of tragedy, one of the couples um, actually lost a child. So, um, oh no! You know, we we kind of processed that together, and it felt it just felt like um, this is what church family is for, man. So you know, providing meals and just conversations, shoulder to cry on, um, showed up uh, at the memorial service. So it was just it was just good to see that, man, to see that. And so shout out to. Uh, our small group members yeah. for for um, for just bringing us life, um, yeah. even amidst the tragedy. So, I just left my small group for the last time for this summer. We take breaks over this summer, and so I was helping to lead a small group at our church. It was a great group. We had lots of college students, some older families, a good multi generational mix of what the church should be, and we saw a lot of. Um, God just changing people's hearts through the gospel. It was really an encouraging group. Love it, man. Love small group ministry. All right, good people. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Uh, as always, going over to iTunes, subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. If, if you like the podcast, go over, leave a rating, leave a review. Follow us at Boxing One Podcast on Twitter and join our closed group, the Boxing One Podcast on Facebook. We hope to see you in both of those venues. Until next time, we're going number 33. And we already know who this is. I ain't even going to say it, but we're going to talk about what that, who we're going to name the episode after that go round. It can only be one answer there, too. Exactly. All right. Grace and peace to you all.